1: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knasser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audio books are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now... On to my guest for today, Nelly Yusupova, founder of TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs, a coaching program for entrepreneurs. Nelly founded TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs after a career as a CTO for WebGirls International, where she started out as a developer fresh out of college with a bachelor's degree in computer science. After a brief stint in the corporate world, she found she liked the world of startups better and went back to WebGirls, a company that has provided support and networking to women to learn how to better leverage technology. She founded TechSpeak in 2012 in order to help entrepreneurs better understand how to manage the technical side of their business. Nellie's story is one of hard work and determination. She was thrown into a job where she had to quickly learn English after immigrating to the United States with her family at the age of 13, where she also learned the value of service and helping others. Even though she knew nothing about computers when she entered college, She graduated within three years. Nellie came up with the idea of TechSpeak after speaking to many entrepreneurs about frustrating experiences with technical development. She realized she needed to share what she learned about the importance of building and following a process when building a company. These are the lessons she shares in TechSpeak, originally a live boot camp and now available online. Nellie wants to help as many entrepreneurs to be successful as possible by giving them the tools they need to better understand and communicate the technical implementation process for building a company. Now, let's get better together. Nelly Yusupova, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am uh, can't wait to dig into your nefarious, you know, early beginnings as an entrepreneur, which we won't talk about quite yet, um, but I found that pretty interesting, especially when you put it on your website, which is super cool. That's good to you know have the, the origin story, so to speak. Um, what's also cool is we, we, we met through matchmaker.fm, so I've been getting a lot of guests through matchmaker.fm, so I'm pretty pretty excited to, to talk with you, as well as what you're doing at TechSpeak, how you became part of the League of Extraordinary Women, which is pretty cool, uh, but before we get into all that, why don't you tell me uh, how you got to do what you're doing today? Sure.
2: Uh, it's actually an an interesting story. Um, I started um, my journey into in technology by majoring in computer science. But the funny story is, is that I wasn't technical at all. And before I decided to go into computer science, I've never turned on a computer before. And uh, honestly, because I was so clueless at the time, I actually thought that majoring in computer science would teach me how to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel really, really well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's where I came from. Um, wow! So I, uh, it, I, I love that story because it shows how anyone, if they put their mind to anything, like they can learn. Uh, They can persevere. They can really become successful at anything that you put your mind to. Uh, So I love to share that story. Um, So I started in computer science from that point on. I turned on the computer for the first time in the lab of computer science and uh, ended up finishing the program in three years instead of four. So, you know, I really got into it. I I fell in love with it. Um, And while I was still in school, I went to work at a startup called Web Girls International, which is an entrepreneurial organization uh, supporting women in technology and teaching them the skills that they need to become more successful in their careers and businesses. And that's where I got the entrepreneurial bug, (laughs) as I call it. Um, Even though it was such an amazing experience, I learned so much from being there. I always had this notion that I had to work at a big company that there were more resources, more everything, right? When you're working in a startup and strapped for cash and resources, it felt like I needed to go and try out my dream. And um, at some point I jumped off and went to work for a big company, but I was surprised. (laughs) Um, I really didn't enjoy my time there. Coming from an entrepreneurial experience where you get to do everything, you get your hands dirty and experience the excitement on a daily basis um uh, the bureaucracy and the red tape was just not for me <laughs>
1: yeah it it can be a bit uh i think the word i like to use is soul crushing
2: yes a little bit um so i just i just uh, jumped at the opportunity when Web Girls offered me a cto position i was young and obviously not as experienced as i am now but um it gave me the freedom to learn um on the job, basically, I learned how to manage people, I learned how to manage projects and teams, I learned uh, sales and marketing and business development, all the the things that actually make a person more well-rounded than just a tech person. So that was really an experience of a lifetime, I felt like. Um, And through that, I just started to be invited to go speak and train uh, entrepreneurs from all across the country and around the world on using technology and leveraging technology in their business and this is um, which as I started going to conferences I, I people came up to me and shared their horror stories about their projects going out of control working with developers and um, losing $60,000 $80,000 and oftentimes their first seed round to technology mistakes and that ultimately led me to starting TechSpeak, which is a program that teaches entrepreneurs the process that I personally use to manage developers and projects um, so that they can minimize mistakes, so they can see those red flags, so they know how to communicate their um, requirements and what it is that they need to do with tech people and get their power back. Oftentimes, what I hear is There's like this (laughs) fear-based questioning and the God-like mentality of developers. And if you're a non-technical entrepreneur, you're at a huge disadvantage uh, if you're in that position. So ultimately TechSpeak, with with TechSpeak, I really uh, aim at giving that confidence back to the entrepreneurs so that they are involved in the conversation, so that they really feel empowered to be a part of the decision-making rather than completely trusting that process to tech people. And that's where all of the mistakes happen.
1: Yeah, there's so many times where people waste untold amounts of money on bad developers and not even bad developers. I think it's just defining what to build. One of the hardest things I've seen in my career is like, what are we building? Well,
2: one of the things that I, what's interesting that you said bad developers, when I initially heard the horror stories, I actually blamed developers as well. I just couldn't believe being a developer myself. I couldn't understand how all of the people on the planet, all developers on the planet cannot be bad. Um, And how, like, they must be so desperate to take advantage of these poor entrepreneurs. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, Yes, there are some bad developers, but really the reason why all of these projects are getting out of control is because it's the responsibility of the entrepreneur to catch those mistakes. It's for them to know that someone's taking advantage of me. It's like going to uh, fix your car or to a car mechanic without knowing and understanding cars, right? You'll believe everything they'll tell you. And so the same thing happens uh, when you don't know something about... Uh, Like, if you're working with developers, if you don't know, if you're not tech literate, for example, or if you're talking to a finance person and you're not financially literate, if you're talking to a salesperson and you're not literate in sales, you know, so as an entrepreneur, you have to be literate enough about whoever you're working with so that you can communicate clearly with them so you know how to ask the right questions. Because ultimately, you can't ask questions if you don't know what you don't know. And so whether it's tech or sales or marketing, you have to be able to educate yourself about all of these aspects of business in order to run a successful company.
1: Oh, no, totally. I mean, you have to know a little bit about everything in order to like evaluate whether or not things are going off the rails. Yeah. Um, Without that, I mean, it's... I don't want to say the blind leading the blind, but it feels that way. It's this random walk, you know, like, go. Oh, let's just go do this and go do that and go do this. And let's just hope and pray and, you know, throw stuff at the wall and see what happens. I mean, it's a, it's actually a little silly. In fact, there's a bunch of entrepreneurs that I know because I sometimes mentor entrepreneurs. And when I hear about how much they're spending on their tech budget or they're developers in another country or whatever. And, and I'm like, why are you spending so much money? It's like, Oh, I just have to do it. And I'm all, well, what really? Like, no, this is not the way it works. You know, you need to know. I I think it's really important what you're doing because the reason is primarily, I think it's actually, there's actually two sides to this. First, there's the non-technical founder who has no idea borderline no idea about what to do on the tech side. Then there's the tech founder that has borderline no idea what to do on the business and marketing side. And both think that each one's the best and and that that they're, you know, oh, the most valuable. And you're like, no, if you build something and no one buys it, is it really successful?
2: Exactly.
1: You know, and if you have something you can't sell, you know, anyway. So, so how, how have you found the education process at TechSpeak? I mean, what, what, what do people say about it? How, how, what are some of the, the, like, what's some of the feedback?
2: Oh, the feedback has been great. When I created it, I thought I was going to develop it over a weekend because I literally do this every day. And it turned out to be a three month process of like nonstop working on it because I had to consolidate these gigantic topics into digestible two hour workshops um, so it used to be an in-person bootcamp pre-COVID. Um, and so over a two-week bootcamp style, <laughs> uh, 16 hours straight content uh, is what used to be tech speak. And uh, so now it's all online, which is amazing because now anyone on the planet can take it and at their own pace um, and they don't have to travel and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a huge advantage to to, to COVID, I guess, <laughs> With, when it comes to getting information that you need in, at your fingertips. Uh, but I think the biggest feedback that I get from TechSpeak is that transformation uh, that happens in the two days uh, or as soon as, like, when you just before you start versus after you finish the information, because it gives you. Um, the high level overview of what needs to happen and the exact steps that you need to take to actually move forward. So you know, the bigger uh, picture, and then the specific things that you need to do to actually implement it in your startup. So um, it's, it's the confidence, it's the empowerment, it's, it's really getting the power back so that you can, create the efficiencies in your startup that are necessary. So you earlier mentioned uh, offshoring or outsourcing or hiring freelance developers. What they're trained to do is get you to write as much code as possible. And so what I teach is how do you, you know, depending on the stage of your startup, you can build less. There's so many uh, amazing tools that are out there now where, that allow you like third party APIs and the no code movement, lots of different tools out there that you can use and leverage in the early stages of your startup to prove out the idea so that you're not spending thousands of dollars building something that possibly no one would will want. And so I'm a big proponent of lean methodologies and agile development. Uh, so all of that the process that I teach is all based on those methodologies, which allow you to really uh, see the red flag sooner so that you can catch mistakes sooner, because the sooner you can catch them, the faster you can learn and the cheaper it is ultimately.
1: Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. I mean, what's super interesting is that uh, so I was interviewing this guy, Phil, for the podcast, and he turned me on to this guy, It's doing this thing called uh, Marketing for Developers. I don't know if you've ever heard it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. And uh, yeah, Justin Jackson. And I always thought this was super interesting because, you know, as a technical person myself, I have a degree in electrical engineering. So I sort of know like tech stuff and did most of my career in technology. But it was funny because even though I know the marketing stuff, I found his stuff really interesting to be like, oh, well. How are you going to validate the market and all these ideas, especially in the time where, you know, the no code movement and all of these tools where you can rapidly put something, if it's a SaaS product, as an example, pretty quick to prove stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't take much nowadays. Have you, have you seen how like the no code movement and all these uh, kind of SaaS products as they started to evolve or more people coming to your to your class and being like, Hey, I got this great idea. (laughs) You know, how do I not only do the dev part, but also do, well, how do I validate that it's actually going to work?
2: Yeah. So I teach all of it. Um, Oh, cool. I teach from because you can't separate the two. uh, If uh, every single part of my process is lean and agile. So whether you're prototyping or validating or even uh, managing the development process, it's all, like all of those concepts are weaved into every single workshop. Um, But absolutely, I think whether you're using whatever tools you're using, you still need a process. And what I teach is a process. How do you uh, come up with the idea? How do you validate it? How do you build a prototype, whether you're going to do it with no code or custom code or a combination of the two, I'll teach you how to budget, Uh, properly, how to estimate things properly, how to set up the project management, which a lot of people are just flying by the seat of their pants when it comes to project management. And, you know, no matter what tool you're using, you're still going to lose a ton of time and money if you're not using all of these processes, right? Because the process is what creates the efficiency that you need. And oftentimes, I don't know if you experience this, developers are not trained as managers and
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wrote a whole book on that called frustration-free technical management. So yeah, Yeah,
2: no, I, most developers are trained to write code. And so what, one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make is they assume that the developer will come up with a process for you. And that's (laughs) one of the biggest myths that are out there. Yeah. And, Um, and
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, <laughs> so I, I am like, so with you on this and, you know, again, to all my developer friends that listen, uh, love you all, but you suck at management.
2: Yeah. And the and reason so, you
1: suck at management is because you're not optimized for managing, you're optimized for writing code and tech, and they're two divergent things.
2: <laughs> exactly. And so just knowing that is really, uh, like it's it's empowering for entrepreneurs, because once you understand that, you then know how to structure your team to... Then create whether that's going to be you in the early days, or you hire a product or a project manager in the early days. Again, that's one person. Uh, in the once you grow, that product manager and project management project manager will possibly could be two people. Uh, but the idea is to structure your team correctly to support everybody's strengths and weaknesses. So uh, don't rely on your developers to come up with a process help them get, get them involved in being a part of the process, but they shouldn't be the ones coming up with the process. Uh, That's actually the job of the CEO to be able to do that. And early on, if you're not um, versed in it, you know, take, that's, that's what tech speak teaches, you know, take tech speak or hire a CTO uh, for, um, for a short basis so that they can help you develop a process that then you can start to implement and develop a culture around.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a really good point. I've found that startups don't spend a lot of time on process. Yeah. And I'm not exactly sure why given.
2: Yeah. I think initially it's, we got to get this done. Yeah. Time time is of the essence. Mm -hmm. And so they just jump straight into coding. Mm. Um, Right. They have an idea and they jump straight into coding. And funny enough, I have a 10 step process and coding is step number eight.
1: Yeah. No, I
2: agree. That you have to do before you jump into coding and, you know, talking about saving time and money. um, If you don't do coding right away and actually go through the steps and, validate and prototype and get back and get feedback from the customers as you're planning all of this you estimate and budget correctly you determine what tools you're going to use whether it's going to be third party tools or no code tools or a combination right so all of that goes into the planning so you don't jump straight into coding because if you jump straight into coding you're already saying we know exactly what we're building we know exactly uh, how we're building it and we're going to write custom code and that's going to be the most expensive proposition
1: Yeah, because
2: if you get it wrong, then you have to go back and recode it
1: and mm-hmm. recoding
2: is way more expensive than than coding from scratch.
1: Yeah, we used to have the, don't have time to do it right, but have plenty of time to do it over, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, in the whole like, you know, get stuff done quick mentality is what you're talking about. I mean, it's funny because there is a, I mean, there's a, there's a place for like this iteration and like playing around and seeing like, you know, like the prototyping phase, which, which I think is a very valuable and and powerful thing because you don't know what you don't know. In, In my opinion, at least I've found like the, the idea you start off with is never the idea you end with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But also, I think one thing I would like to underline is this process is not just for early stage startups. If you want to continue to be efficient, mm-hmm. you want to continue to be effective and lean and agile and iter- going through an inter- learning through an iterative process, mm-hmm. which is uh, a way for you to minimize mistakes and learn quicker, right? Um, what I call learn early, learn often, learn cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you have to continue to do this as you evolve your startup. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Etsy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: so Etsy. They have over 400 engineers now, and they do four uh, 150 deploys a day. Wow! That means they are so lean and they're so agile, and their their process of development is so iterative that they can literally create four hundred, uh, uh, like 150 deploys a day. That's 150 separate new wow. updates wow. into the code on a daily basis. And they're a giant company, mm. you know, and they're learning a ton. So um, if you want to stay innovative, if you want to continue to evolve, I would, you know, I would encourage you to continue to improve your process continuously, you know, whether it's, it's not just something you do in the beginning, once you validate, or once you find product market fit, it's something that you have to continue throughout your journey.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I've, I've seen that more than once where companies sort of rest on their laurels and get crushed. I mean, that's, that's how big companies get crushed by small companies. Yeah. Cause you know, they're like, Oh, it'll never work. It's like, but when it does, this is going to be a problem for us. So, um, so how, how do you, how do you, um, how do you like in your daily life as an entrepreneur, like handle all the, 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 the things that are that need to happen. I mean, I, I don't know if does TechSpeak is it sort of now just sort of run on its own or is there I'm I'm assuming you update it as, as often as needs to be updated, but is there like a methodology that you use to sort of kind of know what's relevant and then what you need to update? And then how does that fit into sort of your daily, your, you know, your daily workflow?
2: Sure. Uh so because I teach a process, the content itself is evergreen. Um, so what I do personally is, as I learned over the years, uh, I refine this process. And so I've gotten to a point where I know the process works. And my job now on a daily basis is um, find examples, find people who can validate it, uh, who can show that they've used it and it works. Uh, so that's, that's the supplemental things that I would add into the program, but the process itself, I know works because it works for me and I use it on a daily basis with my developers. Um, my job mostly when it comes to tech speak is now that it went online, um, is try to get it into the hands of as many entrepreneurs as possible across the world, because now that's possible. Um, and I'm really excited about that. I'm on on the phone a lot with a lot of people trying to do partnerships and and sales calls and all that kind of stuff. So that's the majority of my day now. Um, And then supporting the entrepreneurs who are in the program because once you register, you get access to the entire program. And what I encourage people to do is first go through all the modules so that you can understand the process. And then once you see Once you see the entire process, you can then determine where you need to focus because uh, depending on the stage of your startup, depending on so many different factors, pick and choose what's the biggest thing, what's the one thing that you need to do that will make the biggest impact in your startup right now. And that's one of the biggest feedbacks that I get after people go through tech speak is, oh my gosh. I know I need to change everything, but where do I start?
1: Right, right. And
2: so you start with where the biggest impact will be, hmm. and that, and then over time you you transition things slowly. So, be, uh, like my goal is to get people before they start, right, because then right, they right. can get it right from the first time. <laughs> and they can start to implement it right away, uh, rather than it's a lot harder to change once you already have some kind of a process
1: no totally true i mean it's a it's a challenge i mean <clears throat> it's good to have some process so that you can change it which is what my my boss used to say all the time my one of my old bosses used to say well you can't change a plan you don't have so exactly. it's, it's better to have a plan uh so tell me a little bit about web girls international are, are you still involved with them
2: So Webgirls kind of, we we had to shut down uh, Webgirls last year. Um, It was 20 years in the making. (laughs) Um, And I just honestly, I think I got burnt out and just, uh, it was time. It just felt like it was time. Uh, We started in 1995, uh, back when, believe it or not, the internet didn't even exist yet. (laughs) And I joined them in 97. And so I've been with the company pretty much for 20 almost 20 years um so it was a big part of my life um but it was just time it it just needed to be evolved you know as a company 20 years later as you evolve so much you have to choose whether or not you want to go in the direction where it needs to go and um I at the time was doing so many other things and tech speak was my, my biggest love at that moment. And I just decided that, you know what, I, I just need to shift my focus a bit.
1: Must've been, must've been hard to do.
2: Yeah. It was a hard decision um, because it was such a big part of my life for so many years. But um, I think, anytime you have to make a decision like that, you look to the impact that was made and possible. And, you know, I just saw so many lives transformed um, through, through the 20 years. And we had over a hundred chapters across the country and around the world. So it was, it got wow. pretty big. Um, and we impacted a lot of people and gave them the skills when they were needed, um, early on. So, um, and what what's interesting is because a lot of our members went to start their own businesses, they through themselves, you know, affected everyone around them by teaching them those skills. So it was really fun and powerful at the time. Um and so those stories still keep me going uh, because that 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 part of it never goes away.
1: No, when you make a big impact like that, um, the ripple effect is pretty big. Uh, that's, that's really, uh, quite amazing. And I mean, unfortunate that it had to shut down, but like anything, things do come to a natural progression and come to an end. And the, you know, you can use that as sort of a launching point for something new or the next big thing. And I think it's really critical to figure out how to do that. I mean, as entrepreneurs, the hardest thing is to stop doing something or to say no, to do something. Uh, really easy to do more and more but really hard to kind of curate what you're doing and uh even though it's a tough thing to do you know if it's the right time i guess it's the right time wow that's uh interesting okay and so uh well so tell me about your first job i'm I'm curious <laughs> as to this uh nefarious beginnings i mean i'm just jokey it's not i Well, who knows what you what you did when you were 13. But uh, tell me a little bit about that, because you just don't put that in a bio and have me not ask about it.
2: (laughs) Sure. So um, I use that as a story um, because. Well, let me tell you the story first, and then I'll tell you why I put it there. Um, So I'm originally from Tajikistan. And uh, for those of you who don't know where it is, if you picture China and Afghanistan, it borders both of those countries. And so uh, Tajikistan was in well, there was a ten year war between Tajikistan and um, well, the Soviet Union, because Tajikistan was part of USSR at the time and um, and Afghanistan. And really between the United States was also a part of that whole uh, Cold War. Yeah. Uh, but basically before the Soviet Union was collapsing, we were at a predicament where we had to get out um, because there was going to be an impending war. And so my family uh, basically escaped Tajikistan um, to get out and where we could we could and we were, lucky that we were able to get a visa to get into the United States. And so I was 13 when I came here, or I just turned 13 when I came here and we had to get jobs. (laughs) Uh, We had to help our parents. I didn't speak a word of English. Um, And uh, through my school, I got a job in a, in a camp summer camp and they told me to become a waitress. (laughs) And I was, uh, probably had to mature pretty quickly, and nobody ever knew that I was 13. They never asked, and I didn't tell them. <laughs> and that's how I learned English, actually, by uh, learning all the foods. It was really frustrating and, um, and a trying experience, to say the least, uh, because I couldn't speak English, and then I had to, on top of that, learn all the food and uh, being a waitress. <laughs> So, um, that's where I spoke, uh, learned how to speak English in those two months, really my English transformed, uh, enormously because I was forced to only speak English for two months. Um, but that was
1: my first job. Wow. So a waitress at a camp, what, what kind of camp was it?
2: It was a, it was a Jewish camp,
1: uh, <laughs> okay. uh
2: like a summer camp that people used to go away to, um, it was, uh. In the Catskills in New York City. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with. Uh huh. Your-
1: oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Now, those There's... are
2: very like popular camps uh, that people go away to for the summer. Families uh, go to, and so there was a kids group. There were um, a lot of adults who just you would go to that those areas in the Catskills to, kind of, I guess, to. <laughs> uh, if you if you, um, uh, what's that. What's that movie? Dirty Dancing.
1: Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. kind
2: of like that, but you know, obviously not. Not, not as anything. cool. <laughs> <laughs> not as cool, <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of uh, summer activities and there were people who would go away and they needed waiters and um, all kinds of
1: support staff. Yeah, there's a, I think it's a Netflix show called Red Oaks. I don't I know if you've heard of it. No. It. Yeah. It's a two- two um two seasons and it's about a country club in the Catskills called Red Oaks that has during the summer it's exactly this (laughs) where everyone and it's the um there's that and then there's another one called uh another show called um The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel I don't know if you've ever heard of
2: yeah that's an amazing show
1: Yeah, yeah so she goes, her family goes to the Catskills yeah. for their, you know, and their. It's
2: exactly it's, that. Because yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Cause it, cause it's like really, I mean, I, I tell everyone about the marvelous Mrs. Maisel from a story perspective, because if you ever wanted to understand what's called the, um, the, so there's the hero's journey and then there's the, uh, oh, it's the hero it, it's equivalent heroine's journey, but that's not the way I'll, I'll It'll come to me in a second, but the uh, the best example of a story related to um, the, the it's called the Virgin's Promise. The that's that's the, the structure of the a Virgin's Promise story is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Just the best example of this because she is such a great character and how she develops her skills and then applies it to this. You know, it's a it's a show about she's a comedian, right? But like,
2: Incredible show. Yeah, I know.
1: And, but but no one. This is 1950s, roughly, I think. And you know, nobody wants a female comedian housewife kind of thing. And but she's really funny. And um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Lenny Bruce is in it, and it's like, but they're buddies and stuff. But but the 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 whole beautiful thing about the Virgin's Promise, as opposed to like the Hero's Journey, and 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 I I say this because it's I think it's important, is that uh the Virgin's promises about someone in their community that rises up and does something that the community doesn't expect them to do. Okay. They don't go anywhere. They just, they change their community. Whereas the hero's yeah. journey, the hero goes somewhere, affects change and then comes back the hero. Yay. Right. So, but, but the beautiful thing about what sounds like what your, um, your career has done is that you've sort of brought all of these great skills to not only in non-tech founders, but also through uh, women, girls who um, traditionally aren't very attracted to sciences and technology. Not because they're not interested, just because there's no opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, maybe you're a little bit like Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> for the C. You're you're the Mrs. Mazel of CTOs, I guess. Um, because if you haven't seen the show, everyone, it's the best show ever so good.
2: I highly recommend it. It's an amazing, I mean, nobody ever drew the parallel with me and Mrs. (laughs) May's compliment. Uh, (laughs) I'll take it. Uh, But you know what? I think uh, once you see the transformation um, and I saw that early on at 13, when I had that job, that was such a transformative experience for me. Um, It was very hard uh, to, to say the least, but I saw They just by me doing a service for someone, as simple as bringing them food, um, you see those transformations. You see the happiness on their face, and that becomes addicting. You just uh, you know you often feel like you're doing it to uh, to get ahead or um, get that career in the next career push or whatever. But oftentimes you get addicted to that feeling of giving and seeing the transformation. And so almost everything I've done in my career has been because of that. Um, You know, when, when I was working at web girls early on, there was a developer there that was the complete opposite of the way that I became. And I think just even taking that example, He used to talk down to me. He used to make me feel like I am so, so (laughs) incompetent. Um, He made me feel like I don't know anything. And just simply by the way he was treating me, he was making me feel like nothing. And during that time, the transformation in me happened, that necessary transformation in me had to happen because then I felt the pain every single time I talked to any non-technical founder um, who didn't know anything about technology, I just felt their pain. And I had to communicate to them in a way that, you know, I can, I can be super technical and talk to them at this level, but I would go get down to their level and teach it, teach it to them in a way that they would understand so that it's not, so that it's more an empowering way versus a disempowering way. And so like every single experience kind of teaches you to do the next thing that you are meant to do, and so the transformation for me became addictive, <laughs> and that's like and almost everything that I get involved in is has that aspect to it
1: that of of service and helping people help them yeah, yeah. no that's a really good point I think the you know. One of the unfortunate things about technology and the folks that are in technology is that a lot of it can be this, I own the keys to the castle and you're not smart enough to understand, you know, what I do because it's magic, you know, like poof, then magic happens, you know, Um, and I've seen that too, um, all a lot. And, you know, as a (laughs) as a tall white man with a beard, it doesn't it doesn't impact me as much because mostly I'm bigger than everyone. And I'm, you know, I do jujitsu like I tell everyone I could probably choke him out. But anyway, if you can't do that um, and I'm just jest, but I'm not that violent. Um, But uh, but I I find that the um, the real like secret or the real gold of a technical person is being able to explain it to their grandmother. Um, and a lot of what I do now, uh, with the PR and marketing firm is trying to explain complicated technologies to like, yeah, the equivalent of your grandmother or someone that's not as knowledgeable as you are. And and I personally feel that if you can't explain it to a layperson, you don't understand it. And that's just my going in position. I've seen plenty of people who could, you know, talk a good talk and they're, you know, they use big words and they're so high level or down deep in, or high level in the technology than down deep in the weeds. And I just don't think they understand it because if you can't explain it simply, I mean, then do you really understand it? You know,
2: I totally agree with that. And, you know, when I, when people ask me qualities of CTOs, whenever they look for them, the number one quality that I look for in a good CTO is this ability to communicate to both technical and non-technical people. And um, I mean, in early stages, when you're just looking for a CTO, really what you're looking for is a coder. Uh, but as they evolve, uh, they have to step into this role of mentorship and um, building a team around them and, and empowerment so that people want to be around them and uh, work for them, mm-hmm. right? And very so- good point. As a CTO, your job is very different than a developer who is mostly writing code. Um, as you get into management and leadership, uh, you have to not just be technical, but also understand those soft skills and um, <laughs> have a lot of emotional <laughs> intelligence, intelligence as well. As well.
1: How do you think a aspiring CTO, who of course? is going to follow your career, take your tech speak class, not only to be able to talk tech, even if they're technical, because I think to even taking this will help you explain, Oh, so this is how people are being explained what I do. Right. That's important too. I think, I think every, every technical person should take entrepreneur and business classes. And I think every business person should know how to talk about tech in, in, in very just, you know, enough to be dangerous, as I like to say. So what, what do you think are the the skills or the evolution of skills that a aspiring CTO would, would want to develop? I mean, as they like, Hey, I want to be a CTO one day, what are sort of the skills? Do you think that they should have?
2: Well, funny enough that you say uh, that you actually picked up on this on, um, I had a few very technical, actual developers come and tech tech take tech speak and, uh, I'm going to quote him. I'm not exactly, but the guy said, I'm no longer just a code monkey. I now understand how
1: CEOs think. Ooh, so, that's a, that's a glowing right? recommendation. We're going to write that.
2: Like thing. That was to me, I actually never thought of tech speak for developers. Right. Uh, and I, I never actually thought to market it to them. But um, when I heard that, that was really, you know, ob- to me, became obvious because as an, as a developer, you're, Pretty much trained in just coding. You don't understand the process. You don't understand the thinking behind it. And you don't understand the business person's perspective, what they care about. I mean, if you are a developer and then you start to run your own business and you then need to start to pay the bills, you need to start to uh, build a product that people actually have to pay for. And it's not just a shiny little object. You start to understand all of these things um, that are not just about writing code. And so, I think once people, developers understand the number one, it's, it's this awareness, right? They have, there has to be a self-awareness to know that uh, if you want to grow to be a leader, you have to learn the process. You have to learn how the non-technical people think, what they care about, what's a good product, and why do you need to validate products before writing code? Uh, What are the seven steps that you need to take (laughs) before jumping into code? And um, also be okay with the uh, fail early, fail often, fail cheap approach, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's Mm -hmm. not all about writing code. It's about doing everything that you can to test out a hypothesis, right? A startup becomes a series of scientific experiments that you're constantly testing and it's not we don't we have to write all the requirements for what we're building and then we're going to build the whole thing. It's building things in an iterative fashion, and that's the way like the modern startups need to think. You know, so you could you could still be using old processes per se. Is that right? They they get code out, uh, and you're still uh, launching uh, every probably three to six or year uh three to six months or a year um but is that the right way that's something that you know a lot of people need to wake up to because once you discover the iterative approach to development it's a completely it's a complete game changer i think because (laughs) you (laughs) never build more than you have to Uh, if you don't use the iterative approach you're always building more than you need to which is time, money, energy, resources. Uh, So it's something to think about. And if anyone who is a developer and wants to get into CTO at some point in their life, they need to start thinking like that. They need to start taking business classes and um, even maybe take a mentorship with a CEO and start to shadow them uh, and also care about people. You know, <laughs> because if you like I said, if you want to be a CTO, um, you're going to have to lead people. You're going to have to understand their feelings and where they come from and take feedback. And mm. it's not just this is the way we're going to do this. And that's it. Uh, that's not what I do. In fact, my job is uh, get everybody else's input so that we can. um get the diversity of input in, into uh, the best solution. And it, uh, I'm not a dictator who says, we're going to do it this way and that's it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just starting to think that way. And some people are frankly, just are not built that way. You know, especially a lot of the developers. If you're, if you're not interested in leadership, if you don't like people, you will not make a good CTO. No, um, no. That's just reality. No. No, and totally right. one one thing that I teach entrepreneurs as well is, you know, especially in the early days, if you f- find a friend who can help you build the first version of your product, and then let's say you're starting to build a team around it now, and that person can't grow into the role. Now you have very difficult conversations because you need to fire tech. I mean, if if that wasn't your friend, you would have to fire them, right? Because they're not right for the job. Just like CEOs get fired, if they're not for the job, right for the job, as the company grows, CTOs need to, as their role changes from just developer in the early stages, to more of a manager, maybe writing some code, and at some point, writing no code at all, you know, if that person is not either interested in it, or can't grow into that role, then, you know, there's a lot of difficult conversations you'll have to have because you need to know that you have to let them go and get someone in, in uh, their position who can grow a team, who can attract the team, who can empower a team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So true. As you ascend, it's all about people and telling better stories. Yeah. yeah, totally. That's that's the whole reason why I have an MBA, <laughs> which is a long which is a long story that I'll one day tell on the podcast. But uh, but Nellie, I really appreciate your time and insights. It's been such a fascinating conversation. And uh, tech speak sounds like a great, uh, great resource for lots of aspiring entrepreneurs, both on the tech side and the non tech side. I think I, I think I'll say that as a matter of fact. Um <laughs> because it is important that technical people and business people like know how to communicate. I think that's the biggest barrier to success in a startup is the uh, friction between that interface. Uh, yeah. And when you find people that you're really, that are really good at that, just latch onto them because it's a hard thing to do. So absolutely, Nelly, uh, it's,
2: it's very, it's very hard to find really good people. And if you find good people, hold on to them. I always, Uh, even have a saying that if you are found a great person and you don't even have a role for them, find a role for them, like hire them and find a role for them because you're always going to grow into them. If you have somebody in there, you're going to be forced to find the work for them, which will force your company to grow. Uh, So just know that good people are hard to find. And if you find them, hire them.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll end it there then. Uh, Nelly, thanks again for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.